0: You're listening to a podcast by Church on the Move in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Hey, wherever or however you're listening to this, our hope is that this message is encouraging, it's challenging, and it inspires you to take your next step with Jesus. Thanks for listening, and let's check it out. Well, I want to welcome you to the second installment of our teaching on money. And every one of these lessons has one very important principle. Last week, we talked about how important it is to do your banking in heaven, lay up treasures in heaven. And when most people hear that, they think about, well, that means that when I get to heaven, I'm gonna have a reward for all the things that I've given to God. But actually what we showed you last week is that there are benefits even now in this time to doing your banking in heaven, laying up treasure in heaven, it has a huge impact on how your money is blessed. I'm going to give you a totally different principle today, one that will really help you understand how God gets blessing to us. And I'm going to do it through reading about Abraham. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 12, verse one, now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house to a land I'll show you. I'll make you a great nation. I'll bless you. I'll make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. I'll curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, when God blessed Abraham in this place, He tied the blessing to a mission. In other words, God was saying to Abraham, look, I'm going to use you. I have a purpose for you. I'm going to bless you so that you can accomplish the purpose. Blessing and purpose are inseparably linked in God's mind, in his economy, in his kingdom. You cannot separate those two. I will bless you and You shall be a blessing. So God doesn't bless people just so that they can hoard it or they can use it just for themselves. That's not God's purpose. So we're not a big tub. We're more of a pipe. God's blessing flows through us and it goes to other people. And a pipe can channel so much more than what you can hold in a tub. But the blessing enables the mission. You can't be a blessing to other people until you have first been blessed. Now I know a lot of people down through the years have criticized the United States and we have lots of greedy people and and we do. We have a lot of people who've totally abused their money. They've been very selfish with it. But for all of our failures as a culture, and we have plenty of them, one thing that we do have going for us We have been the most generous nation on earth. You know, when the rest of the world gets in trouble, who do they look to? They look to the United States. They look to us because we've been generous. And one of the reasons that we have been blessed so much is because of our generosity. Any country, it doesn't have to be just the United States, it's any country that is generous with others will be blessed and the blessing enables you to be an even greater blessing. That's what God did with Abraham. You can't be a blessing to others till you've first been blessed. Now, the mission that God gave Abram was articulated during this. He, God said, I'm going to make you a great nation. That's your number one purpose. You're going to establish a nation. Then I'm going to make your name great. And in you, all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, that didn't happen right away. This was a lengthy process, but it began to happen until finally all of the things that God said about Abraham came to pass so that the whole world could be blessed through his family. God expected Abraham to give out of the blessing that he had received. God blesses you so that you can give back a part of it to others. You don't get the blessing just to keep it all for yourself. You, you get the blessing so that you can be generous with other people. Now, the first blessing that God gave to Abraham was the blessing of a son. Now, he blessed him with financial things and so forth. We'll get into that a little bit later. But the most important thing that God gave to Abraham was this son. He gave him this son supernaturally. Abraham was 100, Sarah was 90 when their son Isaac was born. God purposely held back and did not bless them with a child until he could bless them with a child supernaturally. And that's exactly what he did. And they knew that their son had been given to them supernaturally. They also had to have known that there is a purpose For this son. And so here's what the purpose is, and God shows us this in Genesis chapter 22. Then the angel of the Lord called again to Abram from heaven and said, this is what the Lord says, because you have obeyed me and have not withheld even your beloved son, I swear by my own self that I will bless you richly. I will multiply your descendants into countless millions like the stars of the sky, like the sand of the seashore. They will conquer their enemies. And through your descendants and all the nations of the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Now, what's going on? The whole process of God's relationship with Abraham was based upon a relationship that was well known in the ancient world. God made a blood covenant with Abraham, and when a blood covenant was made between two different parties, this covenant was begun with sacrifices. God told Abraham to offer a number of sacrifices. In fact, all of the sacrifices that he offered became the sacrifices that were Prescribed in the law of Moses. There was a bull, there was a ram, there was a goat, and a pigeon and a dove. And they laid these animals out, and God was going to have Abraham walk through this, or so Abraham thought. But before Abraham could walk down through this pile of animals and through the blood, God put him to sleep and God instead walked through this. This was a blood covenant ceremony. Men did it all the time. This is very common where two tribal chieftains would come together and they would make a covenant. They'd offer these animals... And then the two of them would walk down through the path of blood and they would swear to each other, everything that I own is yours. If you need me, I will come. If you call on me, I will answer. If you are threatened, I will be your help. And that's how they would swear to each other. Now, one tribe might be a little weaker than the other, but one tribe might have a totally different kind of gifting. They might be manufacturers. They might be farmers. They might be, another tribe might be warriors. The two of these would come together so that if the weaker tribe got attacked, the stronger tribe would step in, but the weaker tribe would supply something that the stronger tribe did not have. Now, that's exactly what we have here with God and Abraham. God wanted a deal with a man. He had to find one man on planet earth that he could trust who would give him a son. Now God knows he's not going to take that son. He just wants to see, will this guy give me his son? Abraham was the guy. And when God told Abraham to take that son to this place that would someday be known as Jerusalem, but it's a mountain in the top of Jerusalem called Moriah. That's where God said, I want you to offer your son. Abraham goes right up to the point of plunging the knife into his boy. He's willing to do it. Why is he willing to do it? By this time in his life, he has walked with God for so long, he knows God so well, he knows that God is going to give him back the boy. Now, for... 25 years, and even before uh, or even after Isaac was born, for 25 years, Abraham has learned God's character. Then some say that Isaac was 17. Some say he was as old as 33. Doesn't matter. By the time that Abraham got to this point in his life, he full well knew the character of God. He knew it well. And he knew that God would not ask him to give up something that he had given him with such promises because the Bible says Isaac is going to be the founder of the nation. Isaac's going to father children. He's going to bring about the great nation that I promised to you. So Abraham knows, according to the book of Hebrews, Abraham knows that Isaac will be raised from the dead. So he has totally lost his fear of giving to God. Now, this is important. So many followers of Christ are afraid to give to God Because they see loss. They're afraid they won't get back what it is they give up. And this is the idea behind this sacrifice. The idea is that you cannot lose anything that you give to God. He gives it back to you. God gave Isaac right back to Abraham, stopped him from following through. But here's what I want you to get. God said, because you did this thing. He didn't do it, but God said he did it. He did it in his heart. He intended to do it. God saw the intent and purpose of his heart. Abraham was willing to give his son because God had asked him to. God said, because you did it, I am now going to bless you beyond your wildest dreams. Not just because God was happy with it, but here's what he's saying. He's saying, you just cemented a deal that will allow me to buy back the human race. Because God cannot come into this world and justly Buy back man if there is not some man who is willing to do the same thing for God. Satan would forever say, he would accuse God in the courts of justice. God, you seized man. Man wouldn't give you anything, but you seized man. You gave your son and you took man back away from me. What God says through this blood covenant is, no, I found a man who made a deal with me and gave me his son. So it's only just that I give a man my son. And that's the deal that happened here. And somebody says, well, why blood? I'll tell you why. Because Satan, who is the God of this world, who had become the overlord of planet earth, who ruled and reigned through death over all of earth's peoples, Satan is an angel, a fallen angel, and he has interfered in every relationship between God and man. He came into the very heart of the Garden of Eden to tempt Adam and Eve. He has intruded into everything. And you see it over and over and over again. God created this nation called Israel. And Satan comes right into Israel with idol worship and with all kinds of wickedness. And it's just like the nations around. Everything that God did, God saved the people of Egypt through Joseph who, who gave Pharaoh wisdom to, to overcome the famine. What happens? Satan comes in through a Pharaoh that doesn't know Joseph and makes slaves out of God's people. Everything that God did to bless people, Satan jumps into the middle of it. So God comes up with this thing called the blood covenant. Men did it and they practiced this covenant of blood. And the reason God chose blood covenant to make a relationship with man was it's one thing that Satan can never be a part of. Why? He doesn't have any blood. And that's why he's on the outside looking in. Man has been completely redeemed because God shed blood. And by the way, when Jesus Christ came and shed his blood, he did it on the same spot where Abraham was willing to offer Isaac. And Jesus was not just God's son. He was also Abraham's son. He was a representative of both parties. And so in this way, God blessed the whole world. Whose enemies were destroyed? The biggest enemy that was destroyed because of what Abraham did was Satan. It wasn't just all those tribes that lived around Israel. It was the principalities and the powers of darkness who were defeated because of this blood covenant. Now, when you know that, when you know that anything you give to God, you get back... You lose your fear of giving anything to God that he tells you to give. This is why this is so important. Now, we're talking about Abraham. And the purpose and the mission, he was tied to the mission because he was tied to the mission. He saw the mission. He believed in the mission. He said, all my wealth, all my resources, everything I have, it's all for the mission. I'm using this for the mission of God. And by the way, you know, the the minute that God made those promises to Abraham, Abraham was a sitting duck. Satan knew God made those promises to Abraham and The tribes and the people who lived around Abraham were not good people. They were wicked people. The Bible tells us they were extremely wicked people. But they dared not attack Abraham because Abraham was strong. You know that he had over 300 warrior shepherds who lived in his camp When his nephew, Lot, was captured by the kings of the east, Abraham went after them with these 300 men plus some of his friends. And they got back, Lot. They beat off these kings who came from the east. Nobody wanted to mess with Abraham. Later, when Sarah died and Abraham needed to buy a cave to bury his wife, one of the leaders said to Abraham, you are a mighty prince among us. And they respected him. They were fearful of him. Had he not been strong, he could never have done what he was supposed to do. But the thing is, Abraham had to be wealthy. If he wasn't wealthy, he couldn't pay all these guys. He had to be blessed to fulfill God's purpose. So here is a description of Abraham's wealth, Genesis 13-2. Abram was very rich in livestock, silver, and gold. Now, the average person who reads this thinks about it like this. This is a description of all of Abraham's stuff. And you're thinking wrong. That's not God's purpose in saying Abram was rich in cattle, silver, and gold. We read that and think, okay, God wants us to know he had a lot of stuff, and this is where he had stuff. That's not what this is about. What God is saying here is, I want you to see the one, one, two, three three channels that I use to get blessing to Abraham. Money doesn't just show up. People do not get up out of bed in the morning thinking of ways to give you their money. That's not on their mind. If people give you their money, it is for some reason there is a relationship, there is a connection between you. The money comes through an exchange. These exchanges that bring money to us follow channels, very well-defined channels. There's a channel that brings you money. Now, now, when I first got started in ministry and we didn't make much money in the church, people knew we didn't make much money. In, We were always getting handshakes with $20 bills or somebody would buy our dinner, and and we got surprised all the time, But, but it was not predictable, and it wasn't enough to really live well. You couldn't bank on it. We were grateful when it came, but it wasn't enough to really live well. We constantly battled lack. That's not a channel. That was a gift of grace. And we read about, and we hear about all the time, these financial miracles that happen to a lot of people. But God's preference is not a miracle. God would prefer to give you a predictable, regular, steady flow of income. People who live in financial miracle country... They are people that have high highs and low lows. That means they run out and they get desperate and it looks like they're going to lose everything and at the last minute, a miracle comes in. God has really a a, a much better plan than that. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that God can't do miracles, but he would prefer to give you a steady source of supply. How do I know this? It's because it's what he teaches in the Bible. And I'll show it to you here in a little bit. All right, now, just because... You live across the street from a big, huge power plant doesn't mean you're going to have electricity. Electricity comes to your house, to a channel. Take the channel away, you don't get electricity. Now, it's useful to think about electricity in the same way we would think about money. Money flows in the channel, so does electricity. The channel is what brings the electricity to your house. Now, you know, a lot of people have goofed up thinking about money. They get up in the morning thinking, how am I going to get money? Well, I want you to think back maybe 150 years ago before electricity was common in the United States, and we didn't have transmission lines, we didn't have sources of supply. How foolish would it have been for someone to get up in the morning saying, I'm going to go look for electricity. It would have been a fool's errand. Electricity existed, but it wasn't being transported through channels. It wasn't coming into homes. It wasn't there in a useful way, not on a wide scale anyway. And so God wants us to learn how things flow in channels so that we can receive a steady, steady supply. Now, why do I know that? I know it because I see it all through the Bible. Look at the book of Malachi. When Malachi talks about money, he talks about the tithe, but look at what he says, Malachi 3.10. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. Now... Why didn't God just say, I'm going to pour out on you a blessing that there's not room enough to receive? He didn't say that. He said, I'm going to open up the windows. In other words, the windows are the channels, are the avenues through which he pours blessing. It's a channel. Now, you don't think of a window as a channel because it's so two-dimensional, but it is a channel. A window is a passageway from one dimension to another dimension. And through it, things move. Light moves through windows. Air moves through windows. In some cases, and we read about in the Bible, that there were different people who moved through windows. Have you ever had to crawl out of a window? How much money and commerce is carried on in the United States every year through a drive-through window? Now you get the picture. A window is a channel. Your job is a channel that God, who is your source, uses to bless you. Now, remember what Abraham had. He had channels of cattle, silver, and gold. Now, I thought about this, and I thought, God, there's got to be a clue. There's got to be a clue here to how Abraham had an economy when he lived in the boonies. Abraham didn't live in a city, never lived in a city. He lived in tents wherever he was. He lived in a tent. So he's not living in a city, he's not in the middle of a big urban area where gold and silver are continually being traded. So how is it that Abraham, we could see easy, he's rich in livestock, but what about the silver and gold? How does he get the silver and gold? I want you to think about this. Abraham lived on the busiest caravan route in the world, in the history of the world all of the wealth of Asia, and in some cases, Europe. It would come down through the Levant, which is the, the coastal area of Canaan. They would pass through on their way to Egypt. Now, they're riding camels and, and donkeys and so forth. They're probably pulling some carts here, and they're mostly camels, I would think. One thing they require is water. One thing we know about Abraham is he dug wells all over the area. He had to dig wells in order to feed and to water his livestock. Canaan was loaded with grass, but there was not water, running water, everywhere. So in order to supply his animals and to take advantage of the grass that hadn't been grazed lately, he's got to have wells in those areas. Abraham's water wells gave him a commodity to trade, and no doubt... He fed people and no doubt he watered their camels and there was an exchange that took place. And here's a guy who is making exchanges with people who are passing through. You can see how this would work. Now the Bible doesn't clearly come out and say it, but it gives us all of the different parts. They're all there. You know, God gave me a number of channels way back there. I had in the beginning one channel. It was my job. I had one channel, that was it, my job. I got a paycheck, but my channel began to dry up and I had to learn how to go after other channels. One thing I did is I started traveling. I started doing seminars, teaching people about how to teach kids. I charged $25 a person for those. What crazy thing was, when I started charging the $25, the attendance tripled, and nobody was ever upset. I never got a complaint. You ripped me off. People went out shaking their heads saying, man, I went out loaded with information. So I had a channel that God gave me. I I created a curriculum that people could use to teach their children. It was the least expensive curriculum available on the national market at the time. But it was good, and, and people paid for it. Then I made puppets. I made training cassettes so people could hear me and use my stuff to teach their workers when they got home. Once we started the Gospel Bill Show, I started a video club sending two episodes a month to people who wanted to be in our video club. I made T-shirts with my characters' pictures on the T-shirts. Every one of these things was a channel for God to use to bless me. Now, I want you to see how this works Because you can open up your thinking and see new avenues for God to bless you. Now, some of those channels, like my t-shirt channel, it was never a major channel. It was a supplement. We didn't make enough money off t-shirts to do anything big, but it helped put us over the top. My bread and butter was the conference that I did, and then ultimately the video club that I did. Those were my two big heavy hitters, but... The thing was, all of these other ideas supplemented what we did. And that's what happens when you start thinking about channels. You see, God is my source, but he's got all these different ways to bless me. One of the things I've done over the years, I have avoided trying to tell people how to develop their own channels. I just want to tell you about mine, and here's why I know it'll work. God will take somebody else's story and he'll apply it to you. You'll get ideas from the ideas that I share. My stories will give you your own story. The reason I know that is because when I read about Abraham and the channels God gave him, that's what gave me the idea to have my own channels. God uses channels. Now, God promised the children of Israel that they would have channels. And after the Exodus God gives multiple streams of income to the people of Israel when they come back to the land of Canaan. Listen to Exodus 3.17. I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites, to a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, 17 times in the scriptures, God talks about or various people talk about along with the Lord, the land that flows with milk and honey. That's a description of the land of Canaan. Once again, this is not just a physical description of the land. It's God's description of an economy. The the, the the place I come from that I grew up with, it was a land that flowed with milk and honey. Number one, it was loaded with grass. There was amazing grass, and it was highly nutritious grass. And the reason the cattlemen picked it "...is because they had noticed that it was where the buffalo preferred to go when the buffalo were ranging over the plains." they they figured out the buffalo will go where the grass is the best. And the place where I grew up was a place that the buffalo absolutely loved and it was great cow country. And the grass doesn't get very high. It's real short and it coils, but it is loaded with protein. And so it put fat on the cattle. A a land that flows with milk is a land that is great for grazing. Now what's a land that flows with honey? This is Agriculture. The whole country is not a land of grass. It's a mixture. There are valleys where there are great farms, there are great soils. And the the presence of honey means that there are loads of bees. I found this to be interesting. The Indians in North America called bees the white man's fly. You know why? Because The bees were not prevalent across the Great Plains until farmers began to move. And when farmers would come and plow up ground, bees would pollinate and they would follow the farmers and they would actually go ahead of them. And the Indian tribes knew that if the bees showed up, the farmers were not far behind. But here's what happened. The farmers and the ranchers would come, but somebody else needed to show up. You needed a blacksmith. You had to have somebody work on your plows and work on your implements. And then there were merchants. They needed to buy things. They had to buy supplies. There were bankers, innkeepers, barbers, doctors, lawyers, dentists, pastors, office holders. In other words, this is the description of an economy. But the two primary flows were grazing and farming. That's why it's called the land of milk and honey. Now, do you see how we need to think? We need to think in terms of channels. When you think in terms of channels and you hear land that flows with milk and honey, you're thinking these are the channels through which God got blessings to his people. It's how he paid for them. Now, the Bible says in Psalm 78 verses 24 and 25, the Lord rained down manna on them to eat and he gave them the bread of heaven. Men ate angels' food. He sent them food to the full. That means that when the children of Israel were in the wilderness, God did not use a channel. He just gave them manna directly. He did not give them this process. A lot of people think, boy, it would be great if God would just give us stuff. No, it's not what you want. It's better if God gives you things through a channel. Here's why I know. Joshua five twelve. Then the manna ceased on the day after they had eaten the produce of the land and the children of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate the food of the land of Canaan that year. That verse tells me that manna was not God's highest and best. He did it because they had to have help to get by. God is a God of mercy. Listen, God feeds people who have no idea how money comes and, and, and we believe in helping people who have no means. But you can't help people who have no means if you don't have means on your own. Now, I found this out years ago. The people who do not know anything about money, if money is a mystery to them, they never have enough money. On the other hand, the people who understand money, the people who understand how money works, those people have more money than money or than, than the people who have uh, uh, no idea about money, the natural channels of provision and blessing that God gave the people of Israel were superior to what they had when He gave them the manna from heaven. Well you need to know that now, sometimes these channels God gives us they dry up. God may have given you a job, and it was a wonderful job, and it provided for you. <laughs> I remember buying a suit, the first suit that I bought myself after I got married. And it was a cool suit. It, it was a kind of a lime green, and it had a vest, and the vest was reversible. And I bought two pairs of pants. There was a, a pair of solid-colored lime green pants that went with my suit, and there was a, a pair that had a checkered pattern that matched the inside of my vest. So I could turn my suit into two different things. I could make it two different suits. And I remember wearing that thing for years. And when I moved to Tulsa, that suit was wearing out. It was beginning to look really, really tacky. And I was grieving over the loss of that suit. And I was just thinking, man, I hate this. This I've used this all this time. And you know, that's pretty common. We grieve over the loss of things that have been dear to us. But I heard this guy teaching the word and he was saying, listen, suits wear out. Get a new one. Let God help you buy a new one. And I thought, you know what, I gotta quit grieving over losing this suit and get me a new suit, and I finally did. Now, natural channels do dry up. The Bible says first Kings chapter seventeen, verse one. Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Abram or Ahab brother, as the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, get away from here, turn eastward, hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan, and it will be that you shall drink from the brook. I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. And the ravens brought him bread. They brought him meat in the morning and the meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. But after a while it happened, the brook dried up because there'd been no rain in the land. So this channel that was God ordained, God's idea, God sent him here, it's miraculous. It dries up. And sometimes the things that God has used to bless us with, those things dry up. And so you can't grieve over them. What you've got to do is look to God. God has another channel for you in that time. And here's what God said to the prophet. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Zidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. Now, as we go back and look at this story, Elijah goes into Zarephath, and there's the widow, and she's got one meal left for her and her son. She's going out to gather some sticks to make the fire, to prepare this little meal made out of uh, flour and oil, and, and they're going to eat that, and, and, and they're going to die. And the prophet says to her, look, make me a cake. And she says, I, I don't have enough, but I, I have enough for me and my son to eat one meal, and then we're going to die. He said, you make me a cake first, for thus saith the Lord, the barrel of meal will not fail and the crews of oil will not run dry until the Lord sends rain on the earth. And so she goes out and she does what Elijah, Elijah says. And she's got food. Her son has food. Elijah has food. And so this is what I want you to see. Did the widow take care of Elijah? Yes. Did Elijah take care of the widow? Yes. You see, that's an exchange. And what does that do? That creates a channel. Here's how you need to think about your money. What do I have that people want? What do I have that people need? Instead of getting up in the morning saying, how am I going to get money we need to instead say, what do I have? What gifts do I have to offer the world? What is it that I have that people are willing to pay for? Then when you create a relationship where you're supplying something that other people want, and we call that a primary resource, there are four primary resources. One, two, three, four And in our next teaching, I'm going to show you what those four primary resources are. You all have, most all of us have primary resources. There's one it may take you a little bit to get, but you can eventually get to it. But we start with a primary resource. That primary resource is converted into a secondary resource. Money is a secondary resource. And so that's why it's foolish to go look for money. We go out and say, I have a primary resource. I'll trade you for some money. That's how the economy works. That creates a channel. That's what God gave to Abraham. God gave him channels. These channels that he had, he exchanged for money. That's what you're going to do. You're going to exchange. You've already been doing it, but you need to see it in a different light. It is God's way of getting blessing to you. And you see the way that he thinks. He uses these terms. The land that flows with milk and honey is about channels and avenues of economy. So in this lesson, the most important principle you take away is that God blesses me through a channel or channels. And when you begin to think like that, it's easy to imagine new channels and supplemental channels that you can have to bless your family. Now, let me pray for you. Father, I ask you in the name of Jesus Christ to stir up the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the people who've just heard me teach this. Lord, speak to them long after my voice has stopped. By the Holy Spirit, enlighten them with things they never dreamed possible. Give it to them, I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Church on the Move podcast. You can stay connected with us at churchonthemove.com or by following us on Instagram. Our mission at Church on the Move is simple. We want to introduce people to the real Jesus by helping them know God, grow in freedom, discover purpose, and go make a difference in their communities. If you're in the Tulsa area, we would love to have you join us at any of our campuses this weekend. You can check out churchonthemove.com for campus locations and times. We hope to see you soon.